Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. To make a rich, smooth cold brew, Tim Horton steeps 100% Arabica beans for 16 hours. What could be richer than that? Well, uh... How about blending in swirls of sweet Irish cream? Rich enough? Ooh, I guess. Not quite. Because Tim Horton's tops that cold brew with the cloud of sweet cold foam. Now, what could be richer than that? Nothing? Exactly. Irish cream cold brew with cold foam now at Tim Hortons. Or try cold foam on any of your Tim Hortons favorites. Modifications extra for a limited time at participating U.S. locations. And welcome back to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And if you'd like to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, it's channel 21, www.simultv.com. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is John LeBon. He is an Australian who spends most of his time trying to unravel the lie system into which we're all born. JLB is primarily known for his work on YouTube, uh, which has attracted over 6,000 subscribers since launching in early 2015. Over the past years, JLB has developed and attempted to share um, a framework he describes as real skepticism, whereby even the most fundamental truths, which most people generally take for granted, are evaluated and empirical and logical basis, and no field of inquiry is considered taboo. Central to this framework is the concept of primary source research methodology, which is explained in detail uh, on his website, which is www.johnlebon.com. Joining me now all the way from Australia is John Lebon, who is affectionately known by friends and colleagues as JLB. And JLB, welcome to the X-Zone. Well, thank you very much for having me. What a terrific introduction. And uh, how magnificent is this technology you're in Ontario, Canada, right here in Brisbane, Australia, and we're having a zero latency discussion through our computers. Isn't it this, is phenomenal, isn't it? It, cer it certainly is. And, uh, you know, over the years, I've been doing the show for 29 years now, and I, to see the technology grow so fast, you know, I can only wonder what my grandchildren's children will be able to accomplish during their days. But let's talk more about you, my friend. Why are you called the world's leading skeptic? Well, that's what I call myself, and you could argue that it's a cheeky little way to promote oneself. But basically, it seems to me that 
the way the world is today, there's mm-hmm. lots of things that people believe that they never really challenge. They've never even thought to challenge. Right. And so some of them are obvious things like, say, uh, how did we get here? These mm-hmm. days we're told that we got here through human evolution. That could be true. Right. We're told that the Earth used to be the home of these giant creatures called dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. That could be true. And they were wiped out by a meteor. And that could be true. And all these things that could be true. But my philosophy is why don't we look into the evidence for these stories? Because what happens is at school, we're generally not given the evidence. We're just given these stories. Right. So we're taught about dinosaurs. I was taught about dinosaurs in grade two, mm-hmm. which means I would have been six or seven years old. So they're not really teaching you the scientific method at that age. They're just teaching you, well, here is a triceratops. Here is a mm-hmm. velociraptor, these kinds of things. So what I've been trying to do for the last few years is just go back and look at Well, what is the evidence? What is the official scientific evidence, the official scientific story? And how much of these things would I believe if I was told them today? And it turns out, Rob, that a lot of things I used to believe, I no longer believe precisely because I've gone and looked at the evidence. Well, JLB, is there one specific event that made you a skeptic? No, not one specific event, but what happened a few years ago, I was just a regular person. I was about 26 or 27, Mm -hmm. just leading a very regular life here in Brisbane, working a very regular job, which I actually still do work that same job to this this day, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I saw an event, or I saw an analysis of an event that had been on the news earlier that year. And there were some anomalies in this event, which made me think, well, hold on, what is going on here? And then I looked further into that one, and within a short period of time, I became convinced that that particular news story was, at very best, exaggerated, at very best, but at worst, perhaps an outright fabrication. And so that led me to think, well, hold on, if I could have been misled about that event, well, what else What else could I be misled about? Because up until that point, I mean, everybody knows the news can embellish stories. Everyone oh, big accepts time. that the news is not necessarily a bastion of truth, but most of us mm-hmm. think that the news generally will at least try to tell the truth most of the time. But I no longer am convinced that that's the case. I now see the news more like what we see in, say, uh, George Orwell, 1984, right. where the news, the telescreen, its entire purpose is propaganda. I'm now more of that way of thinking than I was five years ago when I still thought the TV news was relatively true. So to answer your question more directly, there was no one single event, but... You know, over time, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, it's almost like a domino effect. It's just one leads to the next, leads to the next, and then four or five years later, you're sitting here chatting with uh, a gentleman from Ontario, Canada, calling yourself the world's leading skeptic. It all happens so quick. You know, I had no idea five years ago what I was exactly getting myself in for. Is is it possible that with the advent of the internet, by the way, I call the internet the largest septic tank that mankind has ever created because there's more crap in it than there is anything else, that due to the in uh, due to the the success of the internet and the internet stealing a lot of advertising revenue away from mainstream media that they had to incorporate the the um, the dynamics and the methodology that the internet has been known for when it comes to the reporting of news and that is if it don't bleed it don't lead yeah I'm, that's a very good question I'm not too sure I mean I look at the way the news has functioned and mm-hmm. as far as I can tell the news has always had this, from the time that it was broadcast on radio and then on TV, it's always had this authoritative appeal to people. Yes. And I'm starting to learn that most humans, they want an authority to tell them how things are. 
So whether that is their religious leaders mm -hmm. or that is their television news leaders, or more recently, people with their e-celebrities and their Kardashians, most humans seem to want somebody to look up to, to admire, to try and uh, replicate, to copy, just to make them feel as though someone's got it all worked out. So with the news now, if I'm in the same room as somebody mm -hmm. who's watching the 6 p.m. news, I'm kind of looking at that person rather than the news and, and studying what effect is the news having on them. And they seem to be in a state of hypnosis. And I don't know if you or your listeners have tried this, but I strongly recommend it. Next time you're in a room with people watching TV, just spend a few moments watching the people who are watching the TV. And you might notice that these people, they're not, they're not watching the news interactively. They're quite seriously just sitting there passively being told how things are. And it's almost like they're under hypnosis is what it seems like to me. Well, I still firmly believe, and in fact, there's a couple of surveys uh, that have concluded the same thing, that not only are we still getting subliminal information on the televisions, but now we're getting subliminal information, you know, poured at us and, and triggered to us on the Internet. Yeah, well, there are those studies or those um, articles talking about how maybe websites like Facebook mm -hmm. are kind of doing their own A-B testing. Yep. That is, they'll show one set of information or posts to one set of users and then a different set of informational posts to a different set of users to study their reactions. Now, I don't know if that is true or not, but it seems plausible to me. And in marketing, this is literally what people do. So what will happen is, suppose you notice, your website notices that this particular user is more likely to click on articles or uh, thumbnails for articles that look like this or sound like this they will start to tailor those articles and those thumbnails mm -hmm. to that user. So in other words, they learn about their user base and then they start doing effectively their own A-B splits. That is, the more they know about you, the more they tailor their own content to you specifically to make you more likely to click. We're seeing this already. This is just part of, yeah. this is part of internet. This is part of the world today as things already are. Do you think that Google and, uh, and uh, Facebook and all its subsidiaries are getting too much power? I don't know about too much power because I originally I had this idea that, oh, there's an idealistic way the world should be. Mm -hmm. And so I went through this phase a few years ago of um, almost like a conspiracy theorist sort of, oh, they're, they're getting too much power there. They're Facebook and Google are, you know, manipulating their users, these kinds of things. These days, I've got a more circumspect opinion because I know people who they're fully aware of what Facebook can do. They're fully aware of Instagram and, and the effect that social media has on them, mm -hmm. but they still willingly use these services. So is it necessarily a bad thing? Is, is the Facebook, I don't personally use Facebook, yeah. but, but does that mean that Facebook is a bad thing? Well, if someone uses Facebook and they feel as though it's worth keeping in their life, who am I to say, well, that's wrong? And of course, Facebook has millions, supposedly a billion users, something like this. Mm -hmm. If, if this is a if this is a two-way interaction all the users like Facebook and Facebook is using this information for their their own purposes I no longer say well that's necessarily wrong or too much power it is what it is I don't personally use Facebook and I would suggest to people who've never tried to take a break from Facebook give it a try and see if you notice a difference family it looks a little different for everyone for some it's mom and dad for others roommates who feel like family and for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, 
GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Prince in your life, I think you will. But if they come back to me and they say, nope, I miss Facebook, I want to use it, cool, why not? I mean, as long as it's making you happy. Sure, John, stand by, please. We've got to take our first break. Exxon Nation, our guest this hour is John Lebon. His website is www.johnlebon.com. Dot com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We'll both be back after this short break. Don't go away. John Lebon is my special guest this hour. Exxon Nation, www.johnlebon.com. John, can you tell us a little bit about the hoax hierarchy? Sure. So what I've done is I've put together a schematic, like mm-hmm. an image that people can look at to see what I'm trying to convey. And I think that of the hoaxes that are going on in the world today, some of them are more significant than others. Now, of course, the first step is to accept that there are hoaxes going on today, which for a lot of people is uh, too much of a step to take. Mm -hmm. But there is a group of us on the Internet, and uh, we seem like we're growing in numbers, not fast, and we'll never be the majority of people. But there's a growing number of people who seem to understand that, yes, there are a few deceptions in the world today. So I'm reticent to specifically name any of them uh, without knowing too much about your audience. But basically, people like me, we think that perhaps some of what we're told about the space missions, Mm -hmm. they might be a joke. They might be a hoax, perhaps, possibly. So we're talking about the lunar landing cover-up and conspiracy. Sure, things like the moon landing, things like the International Space Station, Mm -hmm. things like the more recently the, the Mars lunar lander, these kinds of things. Right. I happen to think that these are all fake stories. And I know that this is a very controversial mm-hmm. opinion because people will usually come back and say, well, how could they fake this? Very Why easily. wouldn't the other governments around the world dob them in? And then, of course, my response is, who convinced you that the world is run by lots of different governments? Mm-hmm. And most people operate on the framework of, oh, no, no, uh, there's Chinese government, there's American government, you know, there's uh, an Australian government. These are all completely separate, running their own nations which is exactly what I used to think. Mm-hmm. But what happened was a few years ago, I started reading books like 1984 by right. George Orwell and Animal Farm by George Orwell and Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And I didn't just watch the movies or listen to the audio books. I actually sat down and, and read the books and tried to understand how much of this is allegory or metaphor and how much of this actually does apply to today. And I look at the way the world operates and I think, well, hold on, I'm speaking to a gentleman in Canada There's absolutely nothing in between our conversation. It's just you and me, and we can do this whenever we like, and so can anyone with the internet. Mm -hmm. 
who convinced me that there are these national governments who are controlling their own people? It seems to me as though we already live in a, in a globalised world, almost like a one world, and the governments almost seem like little more than caretakers of, of the people. They're almost like it's there. It's almost like it's there for show. But re in mm -hmm. reality, we're already under a one world system. We all can do banking together. Yeah. Like I could send you money on PayPal instantly and vice versa. We're talking instantly. Mm -hmm. uh, we use the same language, most of us. English is either a first or a second language for most of the world already, especially with younger people. Right. So I'm no longer convinced that there's all these different governments trying to control their own people. It now seems to me as though the, uh, the so-called governments of the world, they're all pretty much on the same team. Mm -hmm. And then the next response you get is, well, how about all of the wars? If they're all on the same team, how can we get all of these wars between people? And then I say, well, once again, just to use it as a like a thought experiment, as a way to introduce these ideas, consider 1984 by George Orwell, which everybody tells me they've read. Everyone says, "Oh, yeah, I've read that." Well, why don't you say, explain? Okay, cool. Why don't you explain it to our listeners who may not have read it? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, in 1984, this is a book by George Orwell from the 1940s, mm -hmm. and it's a lot of people cite this book as like a blueprint for the future. But I think that perhaps George Orwell was just writing about how things already were, even in the 1940s. And so the basic story is that the protagonist, Winston, he lives in this time where he's not really sure what year it is. And, and most people around him seem like they're very, they're very happy just to go along, to get along. But he knows that something's not right. And his job, Winston, is working for the government in the so-called Ministry of Truth. And what he does there is he helps them to change the past. So if there's been a change in government policy... He helps to go back through the old newspapers and change what the previous policy was so as to not make it obvious that the government is contradicting itself. And, of course, I'm sure in your country, just like mine, the government does change its policies and change its claims yeah. all the time. And people just go along with it. People don't seem to understand the contradiction or care about it. And anyway, to fast forward, to cut a long story short, over the course of the book, we learn through Winston, the protagonist of the, of the book, of the story, that the world is already run by one group. They have separate governments in different parts of the world to keep the masses in line, to make them think they need their government, and they have wars on the telescreen. That is, they scare their populations by saying, oh, we're at war with East Asia. We're at war with Eurasia. We're always at war. We're constantly at war. That keeps the masses in line. It keeps them thinking they need a government, keeps them thinking that they need to pay taxes to fund the war effort. But in reality, these are fake wars on the telescreen. And so I use this as a way to ask people, well, how much do you really know about the Iraq war, for instance? You see things on your telescreen. Mm -hmm. You might even know people who were deployed. But how much of that deployment was about actual war and how much might have been about, say, strategic relocation and demolition? How much of what we think we know about war is truly two or three or different sides fighting each other? And how much of it is something very different, more about occupation of territory rather than actual war and uh, when i put it all like that if people are familiar with my work they might see where i'm going with this but if someone's new to all of this rob i wouldn't blame them for thinking mm. this guy is crazy tell me your tell me your thoughts on the events of september the 11th 9 11 okay, so, was it a hoax yeah. or was it real I In personally don't believe that there were planes on 9-11. And the reason why I say this is because I used to believe that there were planes. Mm -hmm. And then I looked into the official story. And the official story is that those planes were traveling at 500 miles per hour right. into the towers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a physicist. So what I did was I looked into, well, what is the physics of flight? 
And it turns out that these commercial airliners, they can't fly at certain speeds down here at sea level because the air is three times as dense. And so what happens is planes fly much slower down here because of the, because of the denser air mm -hmm. as they get up to cruising altitude, then they can fly at their cruising speeds. But down here at sea level, even at just a couple hundred miles per hour, even the slightest change to the, the joystick by the pilot can lead to dramatic changes to the flight of the plane. At 500 miles per hour, officially, a plane can't fly at 500 miles per hour down here at sea level and still be controllable. But if you look at the footage, they look like they're flying at a straight line. So I started studying the actual footage, the footage of the, of the planes, and I noticed some obvious anomalies. They weren't obvious to me when I first saw it because I wasn't, I guess I just didn't even think to question it. But if you look at the footage of the planes now, it is, in my opinion, comical. It's laughable. It's. I think they could have done a much better job with the CGI than they did. But well, wait a sec. It, wait it a, a second. Wait a sec. Okay, hold on here. Let, let, let's just stop here for a second. With all the different cameras from all the different media report media agencies as well as people, civilians. I'm I'm in broadcasting. And I would find it very hard to actually I don't think that it could be done, maybe I'm wrong, but to get all these different pieces of footage, both photographic, video, digital, and compile them in such a manner that they're all using the same CGI files to commit one of the greatest hoaxes of our time. It seems completely unbelievable, doesn't it? That's exactly what I would have said. But, so I started uh, well, looking... Okay, but let's just go back to the people who lost their lives, including members of my family. So how do we account for them? Where are they if they're not dead? Well, I wasn't aware that you had uh, family members who had mm -hmm. uh, disappeared on September 11. Had I known that... Yeah. I might not have even broached Why? the topic of September Why? 11th it's, because, you know, I, it's your opinion. I would just yes. like to know where the people are. You know, there, yeah. there once again, there are, there's members of the New York Fire Department, New York Police Department, the, the, uh, the Transport Police, the Port Authority Police, civilians, who, over 3,000 of them, where are they if this was a hoax? That's, it's an excellent question, and so this is exactly what I looked into. Mm -hmm. And first things first, I had several people trying to tell me, well, all of these people died, and so I would say, well, what were their names? Because mm -hmm. you can look these names up sure. on, the, on the internet, yep. and there are databases where people say CNN put together mm -hmm. a memorial. Yeah. So you look into, well, first of all, how many of these names can we even verify? And in this day and age with the internet, it shouldn't be too difficult to track down some of these names. And time and time again, I've had people say to me, Oh, I had people die on 9-11, you know, people in my family or friends. Yeah. And I say, cool, what was their name? Because if people did die, let's, let's put together the number of people who we can confirm died. Because mm -hmm. it could be an exaggerated number. Let's put together the list of people who did die on that day. And without fail, these people can never either, either give me a name or when I look up the name, it's not verified by any database, any list of people on the Internet. Now, that's not to say that nobody died because perhaps they did. The towers did come down, mm -hmm. so far as I can tell. Sure. It appears as though there were two well, gigantic towers. They're still not there. They're still not there, and I've been to those towers before yeah, and after. So, so there were these gigantic towers that people have been to, mm -hmm. and those towers no longer exist. They came down. Yeah. So in a massive uh, destruction of buildings like that, it's entirely plausible that people did die. But that doesn't mean necessarily that the planes themselves were real. And so what people like myself suspect is that the planes themselves were faked and the names that were given of people on those planes, uh -huh. those names are also fake. This is part of a much broader conspiracy, if you want to call it that, a greater deception. But that's not to say that 
every person who was alleged to have died that day mm. didn't die. But I personally don't believe three thousand, not even close to that number. Have you have you have you gone to the uh, the nine eleven center? Not yet, but you know what? In twenty nineteen, mm -hmm. I'm coming to the United States. So long as they're going to uh, welcome me in, which I assume they will, I've got a clean criminal record. I'll come to the United States and I'll go and check out New York and uh, I'll tour it for myself. And anybody who wants to come to me and, and tell me and testify that they know people who died on 9-11, I'll be more than happy to listen to them. I'm not All right, to, stand uh, by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation, our guest this hour is John Lebon. And his website is www.johnlebon.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Exonation John LeBon is our guest this hour, www.johnlebon.com. Gee, uh, JLB, in your opinion then, if two aircraft did not take down the Twin Towers, what did and why? Yeah, that's a good question. So in terms of how they brought the towers down, that mm -hmm. part I don't know. All I could do is speculate. But with the towers themselves, I'm not sure that they were in use the way that we've all been led to believe. I know some people who have told me, people who I trust, who tell mm -hmm. me that they went to the, uh, is it the windows to the world? Yes. There was a restaurant at the top mm -hmm. of one of these towers. Yeah. So that part, I believe, was in operation. But in between the ground level and the windows to the world, there were, what, 100 levels, 110 levels, something like this. How many of those levels were actually in operation and full of office supplies and uh, and real people? And this might seem like a strange question, but if people try to imagine in their minds the images that were shown mm -hmm. of the rubble following the collapse, mm -hmm. how many how many computers or desks or how much paper or any office material oh even my, covered, oh how my, much how much oh do my people recall Lord. seeing? There was tons of paper. Tons of paper. There was tons of ash. You know, are, are you sure in Australia you saw the same footage we did? I'm absolutely certain of it. And in fact, there was a person who uh, got into a, got into this line of thinking, like mm -hmm. how much, where's all the office supplies? Where's the computers? Where's the desks? Where is all of it? Where's the filing cabinets? Where is it all? And so what they did was they called into one of the shows shortly after the event had happened, mm -hmm. people covering the topic saying, right. you know, call in, let's discuss what's happened. And he, uh, he asked one of the experts at the time, Hey, um, I've noticed that there is none of this uh, filing cabinets and all this office, all these office supplies, and and the response that he was given was to the effect of, oh well, a lot of this stuff was cleaned up immediately, and it, it seems to me like an implausible suggestion that the reason why we didn't see computers and filing cabinets and all these things was, oh, they just happened to clean that up straight away. But yeah, how about I mean, the do fact? Do you remember seeing all of these filing cabinets and computers and desks? How how about the fact that the heat from the fire was so extensive that it melted? If it could melt steel, like it did on several of the girders that we've seen, it was steel. The heat was so hot. It melted steel. It could easily melt the tin that file fold, filing cabinets are made out of or plastic that computers are made of. I, I like that's, come on, that's a little bit far-fetched. I would have thought so too, but if that's the case, if mm -hmm. the fire is going to melt all of the metal of filing cabinets mm -hmm. and so forth, how come it didn't melt the passports of the guys who supposedly flew the planes? I don't know. I don't Neither know. Neither do but, I. But you see, so, so these I, are the I, questions I, that I ask. But to me, this is um, a line of inquiry that's worth pursuing. Have you asked? And have you asked experts? 
or do you I just know which experts to ask? Well, as somebody who's a skeptic and who you did your own research on the flight capabilities of the aircraft at low altitudes based on a claim that these aircraft were going what, 500 miles an hour? That's the official story. Okay. Yeah. So did you ask anybody with avionic, who was an avionics expert, if it was possible? Number one. Number two, did you ask anybody that very same question about the stationary? Did you ask anybody about the passports? Like well, again, this is I this know is who to ask. Well, as somebody who is making claims of a significant nature, don't you think you owe it to the people who actually listen to you to look at both sides of the story instead well, of presenting saying, a, so instead of presenting a slanted story? Which you know, like you were at the beginning of the hour, you were telling me that you know the the media doesn't do their job basically. And yet, you're doing the exact same thing that you criticize the media for doing. Well, it wasn't so much that I was saying the media doesn't do their job. I think the media does do their job. Mm -hmm. I just think their job is different to what I used to believe their job is. Now, in terms of me and my website and my yeah. YouTube channel, I offer people my opinions and I say, here's why I'm saying what I'm saying. So, in the case of September 11, I've got probably 10 or 15 videos now going mm -hmm. through. Here's the official story. Here's what they claim. Here's the part of the official story that I don't agree with. Here's why. Mm -hmm. Here's the photo footage. Here's the video footage. Here's one of the eyewitnesses who claims to have seen something happen. Do you see the discrepancy in his story? And so on and so forth. But all I'm presenting people is my opinion. And so if I present all of this to someone and they say right. they disagree, I say that's perfectly fine. It's not my job to convince people. But how, 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 how can you disagree with actually, without actually doing any hardcore research? I'm not sure what you mean by hardcore research. Well, like I said, you're you're saying that the planes, based on the, based on your calculations, could not have done, have, could not have been flying at that altitude at that speed. You, you know, you're saying a lot of things, and you're throwing in your own opinions instead of saying, well, you know, this is based on this fact. This is what the official story is. But based on this fact, as testified to by A, B, C, D, these are experts in this field. This is the truth, or this is. This is how I formulate my opinion. Yeah, so again, I'm not saying to people, this is the truth. This is mm -hmm. my opinion. And so, for instance, with the 500 mile an hour planes, yep. I'm telling you that is the official story of the event that the planes are flying at. It might have even been closer to 550 miles okay. per hour, but let's round it down and be generous. They're saying 500 miles per hour. But once again, okay. but once again you, you did not verify this. You did not contact anyone who was a pilot or an airline company, or the manufacturer of an air of an aircraft, to see if this is possible. Right? No, I haven't spoken to any pilots directly. No. Well, have you? I I'm not disputing the fact that the towers went down. You know, no, not not, not, only, not, only, not, on only, not, not only not only did I lose family in there, but I'm an ex-police officer. So when I hear of fallen officers that beyond a shadow of a doubt died in the line of duty and I have somebody coming on the show telling me it was a hoax that it never really happened I I get to tend to say well wait a minute what, what you know where do you get your your information from have you verified the information okay so again we agree that the towers came down that part's oh, not definitely, in contention definitely definitely 
And then in terms of the planes, I'm telling you the official story is they flew at 500 miles an hour. That's not okay. my opinion. That's the official story. But did you and check so, it with anybody to see if that was possible? And as I said, I haven't spoken to a pilot. Now, if someone comes to me and they say, oh, I'm a pilot and we can fly it at those planes mm -hmm. at sea level at 500 miles an hour in straight lines into buildings, I say, okay, cool, tell me more. I would love to get a pilot come and tell me these stories. Well, why don't but you I go and find one? Either. Why don't you go and find one? And, and how would I go about doing that? Oh, what, come on. Uh, come hanging out at the lobby of the airport I'm not going to tell you how to do your and, job. And saying, hey, mate, can I just doorstop you and, and ask you your opinion on this? All you need to do is call up the, the manufacturer, Boeing, and say, listen, I'm doing research on the 9-11 project. It says in the official commissioned report, this, is this a fact? Can this plane do this? Because I'm under the understanding it can't. What's so hard about that? That's yeah, journalism that's a, yeah, that's a 101. Question. That's journalism that's, 101. Well, I don't claim to be a journalist, but, but on the flip side, have you done this to see if they can fly at 500 miles an hour at sea level in straight lines? I, I'm, not, I'm not disputing the fact that they can or they can't. I'm not saying they can or they can't on air. You're the one who is well, going on the Internet, posting this information, coming on a radio show, saying this information without any proof. So it's my job as a broadcaster and an investigative reporter to ask you at this point why didn't you do due diligence before making this comment well this is my opinion this is the whole idea so i have an opinion now if someone says to me my opinion is the planes can fly at uh -huh. 500 miles an hour i say okay i don't grill them on it but i know you've just told me yourself that you haven't checked this either so neither of us have spoken to a pilot so all we're left with is the evidence that we've been given the official story of 500 miles an hour uh -huh. and the video footage and i'm telling you that based on those things my opinion is the planes didn't exist but That's what is your opinion, what is your expertise well i'm not a pilot if that's what you're getting at. But no, 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 I'm so not, I'm not, I'm not asking. Are you saying that, I'm not asking. Saying that only experts are allowed to have an opinion on the planes? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't see people going on the Internet and saying that 3,000 people didn't die and that there was nothing in between the, the restaurant on top and the ground floor of the Twin Towers. I've never heard that before. You know, no, and you probably haven't seen the image either. There's an image on the internet which shows those oh, buildings wow. and it looks as though they are empty. Okay, it, The sunlight is behind the buildings. Mm -hmm and it appears to show empty floors uh -huh. between the top and the bottom floor. You probably haven't seen that image. Listen, now, I'm not like, going to sit like here I, and grill you and tell you that you have to go and look at the image like before I've you can have an opinion. You. Like I've if your opinion you. is that the, that the buildings were full, uh -huh. that's your opinion. That's okay. I thought that was the whole idea of the show was people have opinions. Well, they do, but there's, a, there's logical opinions, and then there's sheer stupidity. And, and in my opinion, this interview is over because it's sheer stupidity. Oh, my God. Can you believe that, Exonation? You've got an idiot. I mean, a bloody idiot who's telling you that 9-11 never happened. Oh, no, no. The, the aircraft could not do that. The, um, oh, like, what, where the hell does this guy come from, anyway? I, I think there must be something in the Aussie water that he's drinking that is a little out of whack. Can you just imagine that? He makes all these statements based on his opinion that this did not happen. <sighs> Give your head a shake, mister. You really don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I figure I've wasted nearly 45 minutes on this, and I'm not going to waste another minute. When we come back, more of the Exxon, I hope, with people who, 
who are a lot more logical and sincere than this last guest was. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Whatever you don't go away. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario.